Hey podcast listeners, this is Todd Finley, the founder of HBCU Grad. On this podcast, I talk to a very special person that is extremely accomplished at a very young age, and she was willing to share. She gave um, us a lot of different actionable tips in this podcast, and she was very open and honest. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of the HBCU Audio Experience. Today I have a very special guest, and that guest is Dr. Kalisha Villafana. Dr. Villafana is the first Black woman to earn a PhD in nuclear physics from Florida State. She's also the 96th Black woman in the U.S. with a PhD in physics. That's pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. And I want to read something that Dr. Villafana's friends posted. And I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable. (laughs) This is something I want to do before we start, because I thought it really gave some context to what you've done and who you are. I'm going to pull it up one quick second here. And it says, congratulations to Dr. Villafana for becoming the first Black woman to earn her PhD in nuclear physics from Florida State University. No lie, Kalisha is by far one of the most impressive minds I've had the opportunity to study with. As undergrads in the FAMU physics department, she was the go-to person for the hard derivations doing all her calculations in pen because she was just that kind of intellectual boss. Kalisha has the type of mind that inspires you to work harder, to strive to be more technically excellent. Not only was she often the top of our physics classes, she was also so kind and generous with her knowledge. First of all, congratulations, Dr. Kalisha Villafana. <laughs> I also want to know, how did you develop so much intellectual capability while maintaining so much empathy? I feel like I I just feel like everyone can succeed and my shine or someone else's shine is not going to affect the other person. And at FAMU Physics in particular, our classes were, you know, pretty small, maybe seven or eight of us. So Mm -hmm. we studied together and we really became really close friends. So I feel like if I'm able to help someone in a particular topic, then, you know, who knows, you may be sick, you miss a day, you need someone to take notes for you, or, you know, you just need help in a particular topic. So I feel like if we depend on each other, lean on each other more, then as a group, we're going to move further ahead. And I feel like that's what happened. And, you know, everyone who left my year in family physics, you know, they went on to do really great things. And I you know the thing you read us from um, Dr. Snowden and Marina, and we went to family together and, you know, she went on to be the first black woman to get her PhD from MIT in nuclear engineering. And then I have another friend in the same family group, Kevin, who went on to um, do his PhD in material science. And my other friend, Tasha Lee, she'll be the first black woman in the uh, University of Pennsylvania. So, you know, FAMU really produces great people, in particular in the physics department. I'm going to be biased. <laughs> now, is that talent or hard work or a combination of both? 
I always say I feel like anybody can learn anything. And, you know, there are, like, the few people, you know, your Einsteins, who are just really good at something. It doesn't take much effort. But I don't think that as the majority of people. Like, some topics may come a little bit easier to you. But, you know, by the time you get to a graduate degree, it's going to take hard work. Like, I don't feel like your talent is just going to let you get to that point. So I've, I've always enjoyed math and science. And mm-hmm. a lot of people would say, you know, math and calculus, those things may become easier to me. Probably because I feel like I really enjoy, I enjoy it. But also because I realized that math and science takes a lot of practice. So you have to be willing to do the work. You know, there are some fields where you may be able to, it's more reading, more hands-on. But when it comes to physics in particular, you need to practice, practice, practice. So what was your daily routine like as far as practicing in class? And um, what type of things would you go through to make sure that you're getting the proper repetitions in to ensure that you had the concepts down? So I feel like I'm always the student who nags the teacher. <laughs> you know, if, if I don't understand something and they have office hours, I'm going to make it my business to be there until I understand the concept. And I feel like I've done that, you know, through high school, undergrad, and especially graduate school. Because there are some, you know, some physics topics that I just, it's just difficult for me. It takes a longer time to grasp so I just prioritize those. I, I spend more time studying those type of topics. So I think that's what I did. And time management, you know, that's really important because a lot of the times we procrastinate and I feel like grad school in physics is not something that allows for much procrastination because it's going to creep up on you and you're not going to get what you need to get done. Right. Are you a are you a list person? Are you something are you someone that lists out everything that you need to do and then puts the time that you're going to do it and then sticks to that? Or do you just kind of put a block of time where you're going to study? I have a a list for everything, a to do list. I know like days that I want to accomplish that. And at one point, I think, well, we not just me, but a lot of times we often have too many things in our to do list. It becomes unrealistic. So I started, um, you know, I read stuff where you can try to create an ABC list where A is like the things that you must get done today, B maybe, and C if you do get it done, great. So when I started developing that habit, it, it was, um, you know, less stressful for me. But I feel like if you have things written down, you're more likely to focus and get it done than just, you know, saying like, oh, I have to do ABC and then nothing gets done. Right. Now, do you do, do you use this, do you use technology or do you do old school pen and paper? Like both. So I would usually have notes on my phone and like, you know, stuff to do for school, stuff to do at home or whatever. And then in my office um, on campus, I would have little post-its where I would literally write different tasks and stick it on my computer screen so that as it gets done, I remove the post-it. And I guess seeing less post-its makes me feel like I'm accomplishing stuff for the day. Mm-hmm. So I think writing is helpful because you can actually see things being crossed out your list. So I also like the old school way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And where do you keep that? Do you keep that in your purse, in your pocket? Oh, I always have um, like a, uh, what do you call those? A calendar book. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. So and campuses, universities always give them all for free at the start of the year. So I always right. get one from FSU or FAMU and I just write down everything that I need to get done. Like okay. daily, yeah. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. you know, I often think that it's it's habits that really make it where you can accomplish certain things. So just having those to-do lists and you know you put yourself in a position where you you're prioritizing your to-do list and then when you get things done it kind of motivates you and then if you don't get things done or things that didn't have to get done you have that list you already have a feel for you know what needs to be done so I think um, I think habits are are so important yeah I agree and it helps me also with like just being able to do things besides school because I, you know, I feel like lists help balance life a little bit mm-hmm. where you can, you know, you get these things done that are priority A and then you can have time for yourself, go to the gym, you know, movies, relax or whatever. And then the next day you tackle the next list. So I feel like it's helped me stay balanced throughout grad school. Right. Right. That makes sense. Now, in helping people with Dr. Snowden saying what she did, are you more likely to help people that are hard workers or do you have empathy for people that are really just coasting by on talent? I have empathy both ways, but I feel like if if someone comes to me for help and I see I see that they've made the effort, then it motivates me to try to, like, figure out, get resources for you. And for instance, like since, you know, all this social media attention that I've received, a lot of, you know, people trying to go to college have Facebook me or whatever, and they're asking for advice. And then the people I find who are saying, okay, they've done these things, what should they do next? Then I'm looking up like, okay, maybe you can contact this person or whatever. But then there are the people who just, oh, I think I want to go to school for this. And then they want you to tell them everything those people I'm less likely to go out of my way for because I feel like you haven't really given the effort. Like I'll probably tell you, okay, my advice is to look in this direction and then let me know what you find and then we can go from there. But, you know, if you're just going to come back with, you know, I didn't find anything. Can you tell me how to do this? Then I'm not going to, you know, sacrifice my time to help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. Right. Yeah. Is that one of the things that you look for in people that are saying that they want to pursue a career in the, in the same career that you have pursued in? Are, are you looking for the small, like tactical, tactical things that people do? Or are you looking for hardwired certain skills or certain capabilities or certain talent? I feel like I'm more like looking for the person who wants to learn and they're willing to they understand, okay, they need to learn coding because of this field, or they need to read these type of books, do these type of classes, versus mm-hmm. the person who you may have the natural ability, but uh, what are you going to do to develop it? Because the way technology is evolving, like, you need to be, you know, keeping up with it. Right. So I feel like people who work hard are going to be more successful. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Now, early in your life, what capabilities did you see in yourself that gave you confidence in pursuing a uh, an advanced degree? 
Um, I think from younger, like I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, and if you know people who are from there, our education system is very competitive and it's based on a lot of tests. So, you know, from the time we call it primary school, you have to take a national exam that gets you into secondary school or high school. And then that exam is then going to, the final exam of, you know, your secondary school career determines the university that you go to. So you're constantly having to be prepared for tests. And I feel like that's trained me to test well in the first instance. And... Like, I went to all-girls Catholic high school. So it was a very strict school. Your focus was on, you know, schoolwork. So I feel like I was trained to be able to do complicated work, if that makes sense. Right. And then, you know, I always enjoyed math and science. So I figured, like, if I enjoy doing this, then maybe it's not going to seem as difficult if I pursue it. And then I also wanted to be able to get a good career. And I feel like in physics and in science, typically you have to have some type of advanced degree. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, in testing, what do you do or what have you done to become a good test taker? I feel like I... I start studying early. Like, I don't wait till the last minute when it comes to tests because, you know, crunch time and cramming just has not worked for me. So I would start to prepare ahead of time. And I try to, especially in my math and science classes, I would try to redo every homework assignment that I've had throughout the semester. I would try to do, like, sample problems in the textbook, anything that the, the professor discussed in the class. Make sure that I have a fully you know, a good understanding of those concepts. And then if I have additional time, I may, you know, find some extra problems in the textbook. But I feel like my study pattern is to practice, like read a little bit, get the gist of the the topic. But for me, practicing is when you start to spot like, okay, this problem, when you see something that looks this way, this is the approach that you take. And I think to know that it comes from doing, you know, a lot of um, problems. Mhm. Now, were, did you like math and science because you were good at it or did you like it because it presented a challenge and you like to overcome challenges? Both of them and I didn't really like reading. <laughs> so I feel like when I was younger, like subjects like history and social studies didn't really interest me that I would get bored easily from reading too much. And with the math and the, the physics, it would be a combination of a little bit of reading, but a lot of like, you know, working out the problems. Right. So I think right. that's what really gravitated me towards. Now, as I got old, I actually enjoy reading, but leisure reading. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, outside of school, do you read books? I do. I, I used to try to read like maybe a book in one book in two weeks, but you know, with probably the last year of my PhD, it just got really hectic, so I, I wasn't able to keep up with that. Okay. And what kind of books do you read? So I like motivational books, um, books about woman empowerment and stuff. I also like, um, the, I actually read Trevor Noah's autobiography, which I really enjoyed. So 
it usually is motivational type of books unless someone recommends something out of the norm for me and then I'll try it. Okay. Yeah. What book or books have you recommended the most to people? Um, depending on like I think the place in your life, like for me, starting a new career and then I'm, you know, wanting to own a house and all these different things. I'm looking more into like financial books and like, you know, money. And then when I was in, you know, on grad school and those type of experiences, I read a lot of motivational books, like stuff to like keep me going. So it really just depends on, I guess, the place in my life that I feel I am. I gravitate towards different types of reading. Yeah, you know, someone breaks your heart, you find the books about love and relationships. Right. So, you know, that type of stuff. So, you, so it's basically contextual based on what's going on yeah for me that's what that's how i tend to read okay that makes a lot of sense now in doing research for a conversation i I saw that you were the first person in your family to earn a phd yeah you look to for guidance and inspiration seeing that you didn't have anybody in your family that had earned a phd before yeah so like my family, they've always encouraged me to, like, you know, pursue my dreams, and they know that I've always been passionate about science, and when I moved to Tallahassee undergrad, I was connected with people who were there before me at FAMU, and through my friends having done PhDs, and I have friends who are doing their PhDs now, I feel like my encouragement and that type of stuff in that area came from my friends, because I have a lot of friends who are who have their PhDs or are working towards their PhDs. And then I go, to, I try to go to a lot of conferences, probably more than the usual grad student. And okay. the National Society of Black Physicists, that has been like one of the major organizations for me and like moving through my PhD because there are a lot of FAMU alumni there and they've connected me with people, my mentors I've met there. So for me, it was about networking. That was where I was able to find, like, you know, you can do this, keep going, and, like, how to deal with certain challenges in PhD, because nobody in my family has experienced this before, you know? Right. So it came right. from my friends and um, people I met through physics groups. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's valuable to, to network, but specifically to go to national conferences where you can kind of draw from yeah. a lot of backgrounds in different areas that's that's great i'm glad you shared that why are there so few black women with phds in physics i i feel like the simple answer is that there's just not enough black people in physics you don't see people who look like you so people may be discouraged to to start the program and then a lot of people i think too they're not exposed to what physicists do what type of physics you know is out there so a lot of the times, I just feel like the most physics maybe they've experienced is like a high school physics class. Okay. You know, and okay. nobody's really explaining to them like the type of physics there are, you know, what you can do with a physics degree. And most people, they would see a white male professor as their physics professor in university. You know, right. so I think I think we really need diversity in not just physics, but in STEM in general. Mm-hmm. You know, and how and how do we how do we get that? Do we just keep accomplishing and then advocating, or do we? 
push it through social? How do how do we do that? So the for like what I try to do while I've been you know in school and I want to continue, it's like when you have those science fairs, you know, the high school or the middle school. I try to go to those things, you know, borrow experiments from my university lab, and you know, it's surprising to even see the students there and they've never seen someone who looks like me doing the demos. Right. So right. I think, you know, exposure at a young age is going to be the best way because then we wait until, you know, you leave college and then you find, oh, the, I'm the 96th person and then everybody it blows up social media and then it dies down until the 97th person comes around. Right. You know, right. so we need to, we need to encourage students from a young age, not just to pursue STEM, but just give them the the option that there are these different types of fields and these are what people do with this background and then how do you get to that point so when i start working like the company they have you know those type of outreach programs so i hope to be involved in something like that while i'm out here okay yeah i think that exposure at a young age is is so important because when you think about what a lot of kids talk about being when they grow up is things that they've saw already they want to be a pediatrician mm-hmm. or yeah <laughs> it's true yes. i mean nothing is wrong with that but it's just that if they were exposed to like oh people say i want to be an astronaut a kid may see and people think that's just like an over-the-top accomplishment but mm-hmm. realistically that's very possible you know it's just a matter of knowing what courses you take what type of programs you get involved in to, to work for nasa right you know so right. it's i think we need to not make it seem impossible for kids and if they can enjoy physics and see it in everyday life in these little demos i think they'll be more excited about it right now tell me how challenging was it to earn a phd in nuclear physics from florida state it sounds extremely hard wasn't (laughs) it it was hard i think a, a phd in anything is hard because you know, your first two years, for me at least, you're taking courses, classes, and then you have a preliminary exam. So in some schools, you have two chances. Some schools, you have one chance. And, you know, you got to pass. Otherwise, you have to leave the program. So that's mm-hmm. the first challenge is to get over that hurdle. And then the next hurdle is what you call your prospectus, where you basically let the department on your committee know this is what you plan to study, why is it important, how are you going to do it. And then mm-hmm. once you pass that hurdle, now it's your research. And the thing with a PhD that a lot of people may not know is that it's very independent. So you need okay. to be a self-motivated, driven person because no one is going to tell you that you need to do this. You know, you need to set your own schedules. You need to be in the office or the lab or whatever it is in order for you to finish. So it's taught me a lot about self-discipline and, you know, treating it like this is a nine-to-five job and, you know, going in every day and stuff. So it's basically discipline because you'll be motivated some days, but if you have the discipline and the systems in place and you're doing the right things, then you can pretty much be successful. Is that kind of what you can yeah because you know everyday stuff is not gonna go right and that's the thing with with you know fundamental research is that no one has done this before so there's no reference for what you're doing this is your first experiment this is a novel idea so 
you know, some days stuff's not going to go well. Like, I've had two of my experiments fail. And it's been frustrated, but you need to, like, take a break, regroup, refocus, and then, you know, go at it again. Right. And when an experiment fails, how do you, what do you pull from that experiment that can help you in the next experiment? So in my case, like, you have to look at, you know, well, first of all, why? Was it the setup? Is, like, you know, did your predict, were your predictions wrong? Was the experiment really not feasible? And then you go through all your analysis possibilities that could repair it. And then for the next time, you make these corrections. And then you hope that it goes well, you know, the next time so that you can analyze your data. Right. Yeah. And in the data, do you get more from the quantitative data or the qualitative data? In my case, it's a more qualitative type of work. Mm -hmm. So you know, we're trying to see, um, I don't know if you're familiar with nuclear physics, but we're trying to see these new gamma rays. So you want to be able to have an experiment where you produce the most of it as possible. And then, because you need substantial, you know, analysis and results to be able to write a PhD thesis, you know? So you hope that the data gives you the best case scenario. Right, right. That, That makes a lot of sense. So if someone wants to earn a PhD, what advice would you give them and what qualities are you looking for? If you want to earn a PhD, the first thing is, you know, make sure you enjoy what it is that you want to do a PhD in. Because it's Mm -hmm. a long journey. Like from my bachelor's to my PhD was over six years. You know, so and for some people, that's enough time to own a house, a car, you know, have a family (laughs) and with a PhD, it takes a lot of your time. Not saying you can't do everything, but it takes a lot of your time. And I think if you enjoy what you're doing, then you're going to enjoy the PhD experience for the most part. But I also think, like, you know, be determined and have a schedule. Like, I think having a schedule helps. Treat your PhD experience as you're going into the office or the lab every day. Set your own schedule and get the most done so that you're really going to be able to finish in time. Right. Right. That makes sense. Now, if we want to go back a little bit and kind of go back to your roots, Mm -hmm. what was life like growing up in Trinidad and Tobago? Um, it was very way more relaxed than the United States. But, um, so I have, I'm the older of two. So I grew up in central Trinidad is an area called Chaguanas um, with my younger sister, my parents. And I have a pretty big family, like extended family. So mm-hmm. for me, like family is really important. You know, like spending time together regularly, holidays, celebrating with your family. So I missed that when I came to the U.S. because I came by myself. So it made me really appreciate like my family more and not being able to see them whenever I wanted to. Right, right. So, you know, I would try to put things in place where when I did take a vacation and go home, I'd be able to stay for a little while, you know, mm-hmm. and not have to rush back. But sometimes distance can really make the heart grow fonder. It definitely does. You realize the things you take for granted, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, definitely. Now, how did you become aware of HBCUs and FAMU in particular? 
So there was this uh, recruitment fair at um, this uh, school in Trinidad. And Miss um, Julia Bronson of FAMU at that time, she's retired now, but she was like a scholarship rep. So she okay. comes to Trinidad and different Caribbean islands and recruits people, you know, give you the whole process and how to apply for scholarships and everything. And then FAMU offered me a scholarship to study um, physics. Okay. So I came to Tallahassee in 2008. Okay. Yeah. So were you, were you a 4.0 and a, a great, a great uh, SAT. I was, I was. Well, SATs, I did pretty good. You know, SATs is a different type of exam. I don't really think it really tests your knowledge, but that's a whole different topic. Okay. <laughs> to me, it's more like about speed for SAT than anything else, you know? Right. And um, I came to family. I didn't even know what an HBC was. <laughs> You know, so when I came to FAMU, it was more so like my parents couldn't afford to just pay for me to go to college. And okay. I'm not a U.S. citizen, so I can't have FAFSA and take out loans and stuff. So I needed a full ride. Okay. Okay. So that was the only way I would be able to come to the U.S. for school. And okay. then FAMU said, yeah. And then I looked up the physics program. They had a lot of, um, you know, professors doing research. And they had the money to give me. So I said, I'm going to Tallahassee. I'd never heard of Tallahassee before this. <laughs> like, I thought the capital of Florida was Miami, but it's Tallahassee. <laughs> so came to Tallahassee. I hated it at first. <laughs> but then I met friends there, and then I really liked Tallahassee. I miss Tallahassee now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the people. That, yeah. That's, that's really what makes the experience the people. So how was your entire undergrad experience? When I first came to FAMU, it was like, this is different. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, a new experience. You know, Trinidad is very multicultural. So okay. coming to the South was, a, was like, oh, this is, a, this is America. This is a different experience for me. But FAMU yeah. is really excellent with care. And I feel like when I got to FAMU, Miss, the same Miss Bronson had like introduced me to another Trinidadian and a Jamaican guy, and they took me and my mom to get all my stuff at Walmart, set up my dorm rooms, you know, oh yeah, go to their house. They made sure I was well taken care of, and that's really how I started to make friends. Was like right. through the international office and the scholarship office, just making sure that you know all the students were able to connect with people from their hometown and not feel totally lonely you know mm -hmm. so i appreciate family for that yeah now when you decided to apply at florida state and go to florida state and once you got into the program did you feel that fam you had prepared you properly yeah family definitely prepared me i i think initially i was i wondered not because of family but because i took a year off of school so okay. i just wondered like should i refresh my memory and stuff but then once i got into the classes i realized that you know my background from undergrad was you know at the same level with all the students coming in and they were coming from other um universities pwis other no other age i think like two people came from other hbcus but I'm from all over the world. So right. I think my family education definitely prepared me for grad school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
What's what's your next step after you've since you've graduated? So now that I've graduated, I have a job offer with Intel Corporation in um, Arizona. So this is what's next for me. And, you know, just for me to get to experience industry life, because I've been in school all my life, (laughs) you know, so I wanted to just move away from academia for a little bit because I wanted to do um, a medical physics postdoc, but I decided to go to the industry, get some experience here, and then in a year or two, consider what a medical physics um career would like what direction i need to to take to get there okay yeah. okay because in doing research again i i saw that you were thinking about doing some cancer research down yeah the so i i really i really enjoy the fact that you know science can help people and i want to pursue medical physics the only thing is that with now with the structure of the medical physics board I need further certification with my PhD. So I just wanted, I I wanted a break from school, essentially, to be honest. Like, I didn't want to just stop and then go into a certificate program. That makes sense. But I'm still going to, that's still my intention. It's just going to be, you know, a detour. Okay. Yeah. What are you going to be doing with Intel? So this day work on semiconductors and a lot of people are like, oh, you're medical physics, why there? But my actual experiment, if people, you know, looked up on it, like I worked with um, germanium semiconductor detectors. So I have an idea of how they work. It's just a different application of what I, what I used in my experiment. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the stuff that you've learned in school or a part of it, how that translates to the industry and the working world. Right. So that's what I'm excited about. How did you land that job? I, I, well, when I knew a graduation was coming up, I just, I applied to a lot of positions and um, I interviewed with them last November, I think. And then they offered me the job February. (laughs) Wow, yeah, long time. it was. That's the thing with a lot of people. Like you know, when it comes to these big companies, it's sometimes a long process. So a lot right. of people, like if you're about to graduate soon, like you know, I think you should start your job search six months to a year before graduation. Right. You know, right. so that way you're not overwhelmed trying to apply ten jobs a week. You know, I did like one a week, and then sometimes I was too busy, I would stop. Because there's going to be a lot of rejections. Definitely. You know, so you got to prepare for that. Now, when applying, did you go through the traditional channels of just um, going on Indeed and <laughs> looking what was out there? So, you... from the time I started doing all these conferences, the, that's the networking thing. Like, network, network. Because a lot of the people that I went to different conferences and seminars took their business cards and just tried to keep in touch. May have been like once in four months, I just touch base, like any opportunities at your company or whatever. And I met this person at Intel, like probably two years ago at an engineering fair. And we always kept in touch. So when the jobs came up, she would send me the link to apply. And of course, it's always good to have someone in the company who's looking out for your resume, you know, because I feel like with Indeed and those things, it's such a gamble. Like you're just submitting with all these hundreds of thousands of people Mm -hmm. you know so I think it's good 
to apply with LinkedIn and Indeed, but if there's someone on the other end who can look out for your application, I feel like that's the ideal situation. Right, yeah. right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Dr. Villafana, you gave us a lot. You told your story. Uh, you gave us some actionable tips about you know how to study and studying early and redoing homework assignments and sample problems. And I know a lot of this should probably be what people know already <laughs> yeah. but a, lot of, a lot of people don't know um, but also going to conferences and networking I think I think that was a jewel and then um, enjoying and loving your journey yeah and and it seems like you have enjoyed and are loving your journey and and we wish you the best on the um, on your next leg uh, is you. there yeah Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Is there anything you wish I would have asked that you, or something that you thought I would have asked that I should have um, asked? Not well for people who are trying to go to grad school. If you're going to do a PhD, make sure you do research on the school and your advisor because that person is going to determine if you finish at the end. So that is really crucial for the listeners who are the ones who are trying to go to grad school. If you're doing a PhD, make sure that your advisor is someone who's going to make sure you finish. Right. Yeah. That, that's that's excellent. Great advice. Now, we always ask people, we always give people the opportunity to ask the question of the day. And this will go to, there's getting thousands of people at this point. And uh, you can get insight. You can get uh, some qualitative data that you may be able to take into your career, maybe giving you some insight that um, that you may be able to use while you're being a mentor to to different people, but you get a chance to ask anything that you want, maybe something that you're curious about right now or, you know, the state of anything. So I'm going to allow you to ask the question. Uh, of the- oh, what do I want to know? I, maybe a question for young single people who are homeowners like how did you go about that process because mm. that's mm. the next stage that I'm at now so I'm trying to figure out so if people have advice on that I'll definitely like to know mm. that, was, that was a good one and that was a good one now where can people find you online so I'm on LinkedIn you could just search my name Kalisha Villafana um, I'm also on Instagram I'm not that exciting on Instagram. <laughs> Lots of selfies and whenever I travel. But I'm like, you know, maybe I'll start posting more things on, on Instagram. And then I'm on, also on Facebook. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm open to connecting with anyone. You just, you never know who's out there and who knows who. So, right. you know, I'm all open to connect. Right. Sounds good. Well, we want to congratulate you on your accomplishments so far. Uh, we're happy that you're part of the HBCU family, the HBCU grad family. And we want to wish you well on your next stop at Intel. And, you know, going forward, if you, you know, do go back to school and become a medical physicist and start doing cancer research, we're, I'm pretty sure you'll be breaking barriers in there as well. Thank you so, very much problem thank you thank you for taking the time to talk to us and we'll talk to you soon okay bye
Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you haven't done so already, please share the podcast. Also, please rate the podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a good day.